You're listening to episode 185 of the Comics Pals of America. Oh, We're a group of comic yeah. book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. That That's right. We are the Comics Pals of America. And I was reading this morning's Daily Bugle, and guys, I finally figured out what's causing the coronavirus. It's radioactive spiders. That menace Spider-Man is spreading this across New York City. <sighs> Wow, that makes sense because I mean, like spiders are everywhere. They get into the home, and recently yep. in New York City, uh, Cuomo said that the highest concentration came from the home. That's true. There you go. Wow, that tracks. From what I understand, spiders also very susceptible to five G. So mm. it's all coming together. Mm, that's right. Wait, so are you trying to suggest that Spider Man is going to the DCU? <laughs> Wow, we just broke this story wide open, Sean. First Bendis, now Spider-Man. Amazing. Actually, that was probably always going to happen. Well, Kenny Pride's next. <laughs> How? Let me, let me just float this out there. How can okay. we be the pals of America if one of us isn't in America? You're still an American, bro. Yeah, you're spreading American liberty and dreams like a bald eagle with your wings spread wide all across <laughs> Europe. Okay. No, you I'm make just, it I'm more just free asking. just by being there. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Marco is wearing a Swamp Thing shirt with the American flag in the background. We are wow. the Comics Pals of America. Perfect. These colors don't run, baby. Issue 44, baby. <laughs> I love it. So we've got a we've got a really good show planned for you guys. Hopefully, you feel the same way as we do about that fact. Uh, we're very excited to to tell you guys what's going on in the industry this week, and uh, we're gonna play a fun game at the end of the show. Something a little different. Hopefully, you guys stick around and enjoy that. Uh, of course, if you are using timestamps, which have proven to be pretty popular with a few of our most recent commenters, you could skip ahead, but then you would miss the comedy stylings. Of people like Phil, Casey, who, uh, of hey. course, you know, uh, never whiffs on his jokes. Never. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't nervous laughter. <laughs> no pressure on me in this episode. Before we get to all that, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over America and elsewhere. Uh <laughs> If you type the Comics Pals without the America part, you will definitely find us on whatever um, podcast hosting platform you want to listen to us on. Uh, while you're there, do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review or the equivalent, whatever you think we deserve. But I think we deserve five stars. There's five of us. Come on. Five-star five men. Five stars. Yeah. Five. Five stars. And each of us are 10 out of 10, so that's 50, that's 50 stars in total for America. Oh! Wow. Wow. Hmm. Big math. Uh, <laughs> you can also get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much for that. You can leave us a comment while you're there, which we definitely appreciate. Hit the like button, subscribe to our channel, and share this video with your friends. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. I want to highlight right now a couple of people who did do uh, a few of those things that we talked about. Uh, we got a, a YouTube comment that we are going to highlight here first up. And then a uh, an Apple podcast five-star review. So, Pete, Hell take yeah. it away. 
So uh, this YouTube comment comes from one Tone Riggs, who said, Endgame did what Star Wars and Game of Thrones failed to do last year, which is give fans some closure and a respectable finale. Eat shit. Game of Thrones. No, we I all love if- Star Wars. That was a great finale. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the review that we did said otherwise, but... <laughs> yeah, it certainly did. Uh, thank you, Tone. Really, really appreciate the comment, man. And I've seen you comment before so um much respect for that appreciate you and i agree that's something that we neglected to mention last week on our legacy of endgame um conversation but that is one of the things that endgame at least now at least for the last year has been remembered for which is being the only of those major franchises to deliver on the promise of an ending that would satisfy audiences by and large i think Everyone knows that Game of Thrones fans were disappointed with how that show ended. And, you know, of course, there are people who enjoyed Star Wars ending. But I think by and large, the reaction was fairly negative. But Endgame was enjoyed by, like, almost everybody. Uh, Of course, it had its detractors. Everything does. But I think for the most part, it was pretty well appreciated. So, um, you know, again, hats off to them for making something that could make $2 billion and also be very well liked. Wait till the last episode of the comics, pals. <laughs> Will yeah. it stick the landing? That's the question. Two billion dollars in fifteen years? Who knows? Who can say? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is interesting to think about, though. Like, I think when we look back on um, this decade in hindsight, in terms of like what were the major, you know, TV and film properties, it's like obviously the MCU isn't actually ending, so it's hard to call endgame and end but like them kind of sticking the landing on that first chapter of it it's really the only definitive property of the time i can think of that has had as clean a landing because like you think about it it's like game of thrones obviously messy uh star wars obviously messy um walking dead is still not over by the time it ends the length from where it was at its peak is going to be so far like you know it's interesting to think that like of all of them, this might be the only one that I think we look back on with that kind of thought of it being a success. Uh, you're definitely forgetting X-Men Dark Phoenix, but that's okay. Oh, okay. Right. That, that did end, too. That's a good point. It wasn't good, but it ended. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> and I was it, happy that it but... was over. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, point well taken, and thank you for mentioning it, Tone. Let's move over to the five-star review. This one comes from ShuttleFan68. And I, uh, my one critique of this entire thing is that one number off, buddy. Uh, <laughs> these guys know their stuff and have fun together. And you feel like you're just hanging out with your buddies. Oh, sorry, pals. And having a laid back combo about comics. They make jokes and thoughtful societal commentary here and there, too. And the few times I disagree with them, I can appreciate their reasoning. But odds are they don't all end up having the same views anyway. So you get a good mix of perspectives. Plus, they use timestamps. So helpful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank marco um, for that one <laughs> thank you for that comment uh, i have to tell you that this comment really really uh touched me deeply uh it's always nice to know that what you're trying to do is being received the way you hope for and so i think i speak for all of us when i say thank you very much and we're glad that you're listening we're glad that you're getting what we're putting down yeah thanks for being a part of it Thank you for being a pal. Nice try. 
Uh, <laughs> I liked it. I liked never it. whiff. <laughs> <laughs> I did say that. Uh, I hope that that both of you are a part of our Discord server, which is something that you know we really value the interactions that we get to have over there with our listeners because. You know, you guys have interesting perspectives as well, and it's nice to get to hear what you guys are thinking about what's going on in the industry. You know, we're here doing this show, and we have the the platform, um, but our Discord and our inbox or wherever you guys get us is a way for you guys to have a platform as well. So kind of sharing it with us. So, um, you know, utilize that. Come over, say hello, uh, give us recommendations for book clubs and things like that over on the Discord it's definitely the the easiest way to kind of interact with us on a consistent basis. So, uh, join join the join the fun, join the party. There'll be a link to it in the description of this. So, really easy to just check it out. You can download an app on your phone, and you'll be hanging out with us. We've been doing like random stuff to like streaming over on our Twitch channel, and like yeah. the Discord is the easiest way that like if we are gonna hop on and like like last night <clears throat> Friday night we uh, hopped on and played some Jackbox Party Pack Six. Um, and a couple of people from the Discord hopped on and played with us. So it's like a great way to, you know, come hang out if you're bored right now. Yeah, totally. just just allow yourself to be assimilated by the pals. When you put Join it like that. Hive. Well, minus one power, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Phil's not there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty active on the Discord, actually, you know? Just rubbing elbows with everyone. Has Phil commented on anything in the last two weeks? I would give him two weeks. Two weeks, probably. Yeah, but maybe I just. But I would say, yeah, I would say one thing in the past two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Way to he, contribute. <laughs> maybe he made a post about wrestling in the middle of the night. Well, two that's weeks the, ago, that's a, but that's the thing. I'll comment in the middle of the night. <laughs> We talked about Dragon Ball Z recently. That might have been two weeks ago, but we talked about it. <laughs> did we? Oh, yeah, I guess we did. Yeah. Well, uh, in any event, come join us. You can not speak to Phil, but the rest of us are pretty cool. Um, I did want to talk about book clubs real quick as well. Just because we've got a listener book club, a listener request book club coming up uh, really soon. Uh, that's going to be for June. Right, yeah. Marco? Yes. Yeah. So we've got the Kill or Be Killed book club. That's a book by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Yeah? Yes. And uh, that's a Will Brashears recommendation. Will Brashears, a loyal fan, loyal listener. A uh, long-time listener, too, who comments t- traditionally over on SoundCloud. So we'll be doing that. Uh, that's a pretty short book. I think it's 20 issues long. Very, very good horror stuff by nice. a creative team that's not necessarily known for that. And they do a tremendous job. It's not just horror, but horror is definitely a prevalent theme throughout the book. So uh, if it's something that's on your radar, if you like Ed Brubaker and Phillips, or if you're just looking for something... Um, different. I think this is a, a book you should try to read, catch up on, and then join us for that book club. A- actually, um, is that not what's what's the uh, what's the May book club, Marco? It is. Damn, I was just pulling it up. Daredevil, isn't it? Daredevil, right? Daredevil, yes. Oh yeah, Daredevil, Daredevil again. 
just that's right. we're all like, like a week ago. Know, we did. <laughs> I I'm in a fog. Uh but yeah, Daredevil Born Again. That could have been a month ago. Yeah. Is our book club for this month. So Quarantine, baby. A classic. You know, if you haven't read it, punch yourself in the face. Just kidding. Uh I had I hadn't read it. So um yeah, definitely go read that, check it out, and join us at the end of this month yeah. for our Daredevil Born Again book club. Hell Especially yeah. if you were a fan of the Netflix show, like I know a lot of the listeners were, and you never read it. It's, uh, you know, pretty important yeah. to that DNA. Yeah, and I feel like Daredevil, this is like the most famous Daredevil book, so this is a great one to read if you uh, haven't read a lot of Daredevil books and you're a fan. Check it out. Speaking of the, the Netflix shows, we're in, we're in this quarantine, there's not a lot to do. And a lot of us are, you know, rewatching shows or trying to watch new things. Has that inspired you guys at all to go back and watch any of that stuff? Even if you haven't yet, is it something you've even considered doing? Nope. So I, I mentioned <clears throat> on the show a few weeks back that I had started watching uh, Daredevil again because Sarah had never seen it. And um, I've only rewatched the first season, I think. I, I may have watched the third one for one of our reviews or something like that more than once. But um. So it had been a really long time since I've watched it, and I've never seen the second season again. So we watched both of those, and then now we're actually watching uh, Jessica Jones again. And we're most of the way through that. Nice. We just watched like nine or ten last night, so almost done. So how did you Sarah enjoy – okay, uh, you can answer his question first. What did you say, Phil? What does Sarah think of Daredevil? Oh, she loved Daredevil. Um, like loved, loved it. And, uh, it's funny cause she's enjoying Jessica Jones, but she's just like, I really want to finish it so that we can watch Luke Cage and Defenders so that I could get back to Daredevil. Wow. Also, she really wants to watch Punisher because she was like into John Bernthal's Punisher, which I mean, makes sense. Sure does. And what did you think about Daredevil season two, uh, watching it again? I, I was trying to think back to our review at the time, you know, and like was like, what was the general feeling on it, you know, and everything. And I, I think I feel pretty much the same way about it, where like I, I enjoy the season overall, but I think it's the I it's personally, I think, my least favorite because it's the least focused because it feels like there's kind of the Frank arc, the Electra arc, and then it kind of comes back together. Um, and I like how season one in into memory, right? Season three um were a little bit more singular because i think the electra stuff in particular like was there's a lot of it that's kind of hit or miss for me um and i felt that way here too where it's like it's it's just like it's paced a little bit weird you know Hmm. i feel like that's the that's the one that feels the most um of the, the daredevil seasons i think it's the one that feels the most affected by the format of they really don't need 13 episodes hmm you you just can't relate to a bombshell sticking her sigh through your heart and destroying it. You just can't relate to that sensation. <laughs> I guess not as well as you can, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, when did that happen to you? Uh, <laughs> I, well, Phil, uh, Philadelphia a couple years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> like four yeah, years like, ago. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say once every other year. <laughs> <laughs> One batch, two batch, penny and dime. That's what the Punisher says. (laughs) I haven't gone back and rewatched anything, but I feel like I would like to uh, rewatch Daredevil season one. 
and then let that, you know, let that journey take me wherever it does. Like if I end up watching the rest and do so, uh, but that's what I'm most intrigued by doing. And then I never finished Luke Cage season two. Actually, I don't think I've even started it. And I dropped off Jessica Jones season two. So I kind of want to close the door on those things by finishing them up and, you know, just experiencing it all. But I don't know if or when I'm going to get around to it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best because I want to, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I think this is my one shot to go back to those. Was there a Jessica Jones season three? There was. Oh, man. There was? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I and Iron Fist had a season two that we also Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about Iron Fist. Wait, what? Yeah. I thought I got it canceled or something. After season two, After two. I guess. But everything Just like everything got else, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, boy, I yeah, that remember. I heard was really was a lot better than the first season. So I think I might go back and watch that. Iron Fist was better. Yeah, oh, the I, second season. No. <laughs> With how much you hated season one, how could it not be right? Ah, oh, that's like the most heartbreaking thing for Kale. He just wants a good Iron Fist thing, and <laughs> for that, for him, that what that did not live up to his expectations at all. That that I think is probably the one I'm going to skip. <laughs> Fair enough. This is better than um, Jessica Jones. It's not true. Uh, yeah, fine. I don't know, man. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? What's up? I I, I didn't catch what you said. Uh, it's better than Jessica Jones, but who's, who's to say? Uh, oh, I can. I'll say it. And I didn't even see Jessica Jones. I'll say it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> that, that's not who everyone says that. I don't. You're the only person I've heard with that opinion. <laughs> of all the like strange thoughts you have, like how the Fox movies are superior to the MCU, which is just like I want to shoot myself type thing. Um, this is up there. Yeah. Like his his take on Jessica Jones season one being bad is like one of the most baffling things for me. It's not bad, it's just not great. And Iron Fist was great? No, it was okay. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was, I think the funniest thing is that when we did the season two review of Jessica Jones, like everybody had to back out except for me and Phil, and like he didn't even like the first season, and I hated the second yeah. season. So that was just us being like it was a fucking slog. Yep. It, it was painful to get through. Yep. I yeah. I, was, I, I edited that. I was going to ask you how. Uh, have you gotten that far this time uh, into the second season of Jessica Jones, Pete? No. So I'm just watching season one of Jessica Jones right now, and then we're going to watch Luke Cage. Okay. Right. Yeah. Oh, so uh, you're we going watched, in order. Yeah, Daredevil oh, two. Right. I guess I technically watched out of order, order but like. She was really into Daredevil season one and wanted to jump into two, and I knew that there was nothing in between that really mattered. Like, Hogarth shows up at the end of it, and I was like, oh, she's in Jessica Jones, and she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. But that's, like, it. (laughs) I literally tell people when it comes to the Daredevil show to watch, like, watch the first two seasons of Daredevil and then just go on YouTube and watch a recap of what happens in Defenders. Like, any recap (sighs) will do. That's fine. And then watch season three. That was the thing when when we finished season two, she kind of was like, "So what's like what's next?" You know, because she knew that there was the Punisher show and Daredevil season three and some of the other stuff. And I was like, "Well, we have like three options." 
And she's like, well, let's try Jessica Jones, and if I like it, we'll keep watching it. It's like, all right, cool. So what are you going to do when you get to the inevitable end and you both have to commit ritual suicide? Mm. Well, we'll be dead, Kale. Yeah, Kale, dumb fucking question, they'll, you dumb yeah, fuck. not a great question. I guess I, <laughs> yeah, well, I, guess I meant, what's your method going to be, a bunch of fucking assholes? Um, I mean... <laughs> Well, obviously, being the East Master, Seppuku, so. See? Thank you, Marco. Great suggestion, Marco. Great suggestion. I'm the 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 crazy one. You know? Yeah. Well, I I would say yes to that. Um, All right. Well, enough talk about suicide. Uh, Let's get into the news. Oh, I thought we weren't going to talk about suicide. Well. Uh, just not peace. I'm glad that glad that transition isn't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Diamond. Oh, the suicide of the comics industry. Oh my God! Enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me. So no, sorry, I'm killing me. Oh God, you guys, you guys are just awful. <laughs> uh, if you want to apply to be a member of the Comics Pals, you can write to me at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Fuck, are we fired? Yes. Oh, um, thank God. I've been trying for so hard for so long. <laughs> All right. Um, so as we talked about last week, Diamond is going to be back to business on May 20th. So if, you were, if your store is open for business in any form, you'll be able to get new books, not just DC books, um, on May 20th. So that's that's obviously great. And the stores are placing their orders. Final cutoff dates are approaching or half past. And as it turns out, uh, orders are actually higher than Diamond anticipated. So during a live stream on Comic Book News on YouTube, uh, we referenced them last week. Uh, Jeppy did a, a live stream with them at that point, and then he did another one. And he talked about how things are actually looking up. So he said, the final orders you reference have been coming in better than we thought. We budgeted very carefully for our cash flow projections to anticipate what percentage of last year's volume for week-to-week sales. And happily, those numbers are coming in stronger. He says, I'm going to predict right now that in addition to our conservative FOC adjustments, these books are going to sell out and they're probably going to order more because I think this goes back to the consumer. Consumers have a pent up desire. In this case, while off the rack sales might suffer, those people with subscription services or pull and hold are probably going to recapture a high percentage of what they deemed potentially lost. So, Good news for comics. It's interesting. <clears throat> I'm looking at the uh, the video <clears throat> that you're referencing, and there's a lot of negativity around it. Um, it has 145 dislikes to 113 likes. You're jumping way ahead, bud. Oh, sorry, man. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's why I don't look at the notes. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I shouldn't leave. I shouldn't. <laughs> That's that's positive to hear, and and I think it definitely falls in line with the way that people have been, at least like on 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 Twitter and stuff, have been sort of vocal about wanting to kind of go pick up the books, and I think even uh, to people who want to support the stores, like my like like 
my LCS is still, I think, closed. I haven't gotten an email about them reopening anytime soon. But that's not to say that, for example, like a Forbidden Planet probably needs this. Yeah. Um, other other stores are going to need this. So that's uh, at the very least positive to hear. And I, I recently found a um, a comic shop a couple blocks from me. Um, so that's actually going to be one of my first stops on Wednesday probably. Wow. Awesome. You didn't know they were there? I, I had no idea. That's I've cool. been living here for like two years, visiting here for the past eight. Never knew about the store. Wow. There is um, – I, I went and took a look at uh, at the comic book store locator near me to see like what the deal was. There's only one shop open in Philadelphia. Wow. Damn. That's a bummer. And it's not, and it's not near me or Phil. <laughs> it's like uptown. <laughs> so I will not be getting my books. <laughs> Uh, apparently, me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could always order them through DCBS if you wanted. Yeah, I was <laughs> honestly thinking about it. Underscore the BS. <laughs> Why? Uh, Marco must be excited by the success of Diamond here, right, Marco? Uh, I wouldn't call it success quite yet. <laughs> That's true. We're, we're not on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, Pete referenced a lot of negativity surrounding the live stream that Steve Jeppy was a part of. And so for context, this particular live stream was actually a conversation with publishers, whereas the last one was a conversation with retailers. And so the publishers that were involved uh, were um, Ross Ritchie from Boom, uh Dirk Wood from IDW, Mike Richardson, I uh, can't remember where Mike's from, uh, I, oh no, he's from Dark Horse, and Gary Groth is the one I can't recall exactly where he's from. Uh, so it was an interesting conversation, it was an hour and a half long if you want to check it out for yourself. Um, the, the main thing I want to talk about from this interview is how disheartened, disheartened I was by the people who watched it now as pete referenced uh the like to dislike ratio is really bad 112 likes to 145 dislikes what's more of a bummer is the comments because this interview was swarmed by comic skaters damn what the fuck yeah um doesn't sound like comic skaters but that's wild (laughs) i mean like a large portion of the people that commented were are, are, are comic skaters. And in fact, at one point, the host of the show, Dan Shaheen, he stopped the conversation to call out uh, an individual in the chat, Comics Matter with your boy Zach, who is a person who does a show on YouTube and uh, puts out, you know, comics that are, you know, f- serving a particular audience. Uh, he called him out for his trolling and negativity. And they seem to have a bit of a negative relationship with each other. And the entire chat kind of erupted um, in defense of Zach when that did take place. And so it just goes to show that, you know, this is an industry that has an audience that is like not, not, I'm not going to say the majority of the industry or anything like that, but a lot of the people that engage with comics are hateful people. Yeah, it's true. 
like when you talk about <clears throat> how few people like we always talk about how niche comics are and the fact that there's like a significant enough group that we can be like oh it's the comic skaters who rolled in and did this and they you know like yeah for sure it's a it's a significant portion of the readership and the when you think about that you know when you're being re- realistic about it 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 makes you question what direction our publishers supposed to go in when a lot of the people with buying power are people who feel this way, you know, and, and then you think about books that, that have failed um, whenever Marvel tries to do something, you know, when they're trying to introduce more diversity, things like that. Marvel, I think, has been one of the leaders of that movement. And a lot of the time it fails. You know, you can point to Miss Marvel and you can point to uh, Miles Morales. But other than that, a lot of these attempts don't succeed, and it's unfortunate. And and I think to that even, um, I forget if it was uh, Alterna, mm-hmm. who at some point I think last year had mentioned, you know, they weren't doing the um, the mass blocks, or, or or they were dissuading people from the mass from mass yes, blocking because uh, that's it. Yeah, just because you know, like unfortunately, this is these are people who are within that and that that is a question that pops up is like how do you cater to to these people when maybe they at a higher level aren't the people you might want to align with right mm. yeah does, does anyone actually know any comic skaters like in real life i feel like i've never even met one uh i'm i i definitely i'm sure we've all met them um whether we knew it at the time or not I think, you know, I don't know anyone personally, but I think that's because of the kind of people we are and, like, the kind of people that we run with, you know? I also think that we we as a group, like, Sean goes to Midtown most frequently, right? Like, that's yeah. your shop. Yeah. Marco has a small shop that he goes to that is uh, fairly intimate, and he knows pretty much everybody, uh, but is pretty diverse, if I'm not mistaken marco yeah yeah so i like i think i think the just just by that fact like we don't go to like for the most part we don't go to to our lcs's where they would hang out and i don't know have their hate rallies or whatever the fuck comic <laughs> skaters do like like um friend of the show murphy he he has one or two and he's mentioned in the past that he converses with them but he's out in like uh, like Westchester area, so yeah, out, yeah. outside of the city. I know Sean has expressed there was a story you told in the past about a shop that you and your friends used to hang out at that the shop owner was like racist, right? Yeah, um, he's he's uh, an Asian man, and he definitely is racist. Um, but the conversation about comics, whenever we talk about comics themselves. He's just he doesn't read comics. He's more concerned with like not anymore anyway. He's more concerned with the numbers and the data and you know things like that. So uh, that his racism has never come up in that context. I see. Not reading enough to care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But one one thing that I find interesting about the comic skate perspective because for me it's important to understand how everyone feels, even if you disagree with them. 
uh, is that they feel like they're they feel as though the industry is full of people who aren't willing to listen to alternative perspectives and are not willing to cater to people who don't want the cookie cutter uh, or not necessarily the cookie cutter, but don't want like, you know, Thor turned into a woman or, you know, things like that. Um, and that they get shouted down and that's, and that's why they've kind of gone and, and migrated and done their own thing. And even though we may disagree with their perspective, um, you can't argue with the fact that these are people with spending money. Uh, when you look at, um, cyber frog, I believe it's called by, uh, EVS, that's a book with $800,000, uh, via Indiegogo so far. Sure. Yeah. And that's that's tremendous support. You know, so the industry is as much theirs as it is ours. And that's something mm-hmm. that has to be considered. Yeah, I think um I think what's like so I guess frustrating for me is, is probably the best word. Um is like when <laughs> you hear that perspective, right, where it's like, oh, like you know, we feel like the industry isn't opening to listening to us or like hearing, you know, as you put it, like hearing an alternate point of view and like, you know, um, we're getting shouted down and it's like, it's, it's so much like, that's the discourse though. Right. Cause I think that's true. That does happen to those people. And that's, but that's exactly what we constantly talk about them doing to creators or fans that like that stuff, you know? So it's like, you know, uh, I feel like it's, it's ironic to to like hear that that rationale of like them being like, well, we're on the defensive when you know I think we would characterize them pretty pretty differently than that. Um, but that being said, like I think I think it's it's also just so interesting to look at comics as kind of a microcosm of the way that I think we talk about things in general. Because one of the comments that I saw on this that I thought was interesting was uh, – it's like the top comment at the beginning of the the section. And it says, I want whatever Steve Geppi's smoking. He thinks people are saving money by staying home. Nobody is working. What is he doing to prevent 100 stores from closing per year? What about the awful products published by Marvel and DC? Comic shops aren't charities. How do they return to profitability? And Dan, the host of the show, replied and said, I tried to explain in the video that comes from decades of earning their respect as a business partner. I looked for people who have been, quote, screwed by Steve Geppi but could not find any. If they are out there, they are welcome to appear. And it's it's interesting to, like, see, like, the dichotomy, you know, that I think we always talk about of, like, how it looks and how we perceive things versus, you know, knowledge that we might not be privy to. And I think this is like something that Sean brought up in the conversation around Steve Geppi last time where like we all have this perception of him, but there's also the publisher's perception that I feel like, you know, um, a lot of times like nobody in the conversation, like from the fan perspective, really looks at that shit, right? We talk with our our hearts and our wallets and not always with like a full, you know, um, fully stacked deck. Yeah. And that's something that I think we all need to try to be better about because the industry doesn't have an anti-Steve Jeppy, anti-Diamond mentality. The fans do. And if you read deeper into the comments, you'll see that Dan says that. 
Uh, and there's absolutely no reason for fans to feel like that. It's 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 actually strange how hive mind fans are about something they know nothing about at all. It's really weird. We build boogeymen. Yep. Exactly. Um, I think to the point that that Pete was making, just in terms of the the discourse as well. It's there's also like a difference between oh. Thor is now a woman, but I've always read him as a man. And uh, oh, Thor is a woman now, but women shouldn't be lead characters in like a story or something, right? Like, like, uh, not not to say that it's a valid argument, but that is one of the arguments that you have to sort of combat, um, to whatever level of like ridiculousness the person can kind of bring. Um, but there, those are two separate arguments uh, because some people just want don't don't want change because it's not the way that they've read something um, whereas other people want change because they would they do want something new um, and there's just that balancing act to your point on the the publishers have built up these relationships with the consumers essentially over years but how do you introduce things that do change? Uh, that do change what these people are connected to and have been for so long. I'm really glad you brought that up because when you're talking about, you know, comics gate people, it's really easy to speak about any group of people in a monolithic sense. And they're not that. Um, There are a lot of people who have feelings that someone might say, oh, well, you're just a comics gator, but that's not true. I personally have feelings about comics that if someone heard me saying them without, you know, the full degree of context or don't know me or whatever, they might say that I'm, I'm, you know, comic skate because I don't want certain things happening in comics. Um, and I do think it's unfair to paint with a wide brush, but I also think that, um, there are people who don't have any interest in doing anything other than sowing discord or, you know, expressing their hatred and hoping that this industry kind of rep- reflects the way that they want the world to look. Um, and, you know, it's just not going to happen, you know, and, 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 and it leaves out a lot of people. And also, regardless, we can talk all day, but once you get into personal attacks and once you get into um, harassing people on social media and death threats yeah. and things like that, now you're not in a space of trying to have conversation you're in a space of actually doing harm and that's not okay it's important to know that okay yeah there's gonna be people have nuanced opinions about things like maybe they really feel strongly like the only batman i want is bruce wayne and bruce wayne is it conforms to a certain you know standard or whatever there's certainly that type of person uh there's also the type of person who um either holds really chauvinistic or, or racist views about life in general, and they want that to reflect the art they consume. But there's also people out there whose entire purpose and motive is to just stir the pot and just right. like intentionally paint with a broad brush to just like get people mad who might say things like SJWs are ruining comics, even if they don't believe it just to get people riled up on, you know, whatever, whatever they to create a, a discourse of just, of, of, of anarchy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it, it is important to be able to tell those people apart. That's why Dan got so angry uh, during the live stream because he felt that the, the person he was attacking didn't have an interest in doing anything other than just trolling, which is, you know, not productive. So uh, I think I think we can close the, the, the door on that portion of this conversation. We solved it. it. <laughs> we fixed it, everybody. We fixed comics. I, I, I do think, though, it is important to try to be open-minded because these people are as much a part of the industry as anyone else is. And um, being able to discern who is making valid points that are worth merit, that are worth consideration, and who's just trolling. Um, so I shouldn't feel guilty for supporting Cyberfrog? Cool. <laughs> no, no, no. no you should. <laughs> uh, not if that's what you feel like reading, man. I, I would question your... Crazy your frog. I didn't. I didn't know what it was, um, and then I saw Ethan Van Skybert, and I was this close to putting in money. I was like, "Oh, this is cool." I hear you, man. I wouldn't admit to that, but okay. <laughs> that's why I respect Marco. But that's what's so weird, right? Is like EVS is very talented. He's, He's not a great guy, but the art's good. Um, so. A little, a little while ago, um, uh, in like mid-April, there was a document that was visible to everyone. It is no longer the case that it is visible to everyone, um, but it was put together by a, a coalition of comic book shop owners. Uh, that basically is a bullet point list of ways that they feel the industry, things that they feel the need to happen in order to fix the industry. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a very, very interesting living document. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, it's no longer visible to the public. I do have in front of me a list of the bullet points that were available at the point at which this Bleeding Cool article was written. And um, I'm going to go through a few of those because they're very interesting. And I think... While you're talking, while we're talking about this, remember that this is what a, re- a, a retailer thinks needs to happen in order for the industry to be fixed. And I'm not asking you to think like a retailer. I'm just asking you to consider the source as you're hearing these and when you respond. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to go over some of the ones that I thought were uh, interesting. So a lot of these are behind the scenes things that we don't really understand like you know uh things that involve focs and 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 things like that so one of the comments is fewer variants less is more money not spent on a variant will be spent on another comic or collected version or maybe they spend on the materials needed to protect those comics and strengthen the shop that's an interesting one because it implies it's very much the retailer perspective of like, I would rather someone not buy two copies of this Marvel comic to get the variant cover and instead buy something else that's sitting on my shelf that they're not paying attention to. I know I've, and this is anecdotal, right? But like, I know one of the shop owners that, um, that I was friendly with back in New Jersey had expressed to me that, um, like he really resented Marvel for their the the volume of variants that they would do because he's like a lot of them do not sell and you have to order them you know so like 
um, it's fine when it's Action Comics 1000 or Batman's 80th anniversary or something, but like for random event whatever of the year, like a lot of those variants sit on the shelves. They end up selling them at a loss, like, or they have to go online and sell them and it's like extra work for them. And like, yeah, I think the retailers that I was able to like, you know, speak to about about the concept. None of them were pro variants, unless it was for something major where you know they're going to fucking move. Yeah, and, and and to that, I've had a conversation as well where they the variants like sometimes people inflate the costs to make up for that because it's um I I know there's a shop at Astoria that that's what they do, but then Miles, yes, the guys like it's the same shit. Like it's just a different cover. Like who who cares? I'm gonna sell, like give it to you at the same price versus oh now this is like eighty dollars all of a sudden because it's unlimited supply. It's like no, bro, it's the same book. Well, and I I I, I feel like I recall uh, a case where those um, those hip hop album um, uh, recreations that Marvel did they. As I, as I recall, uh, retailers had to sell a certain amount or have a certain amount uh, reserved and ordered to get that particular variant. So it's a whole tier for uh, a special variant that uh, you know maybe no one would even buy. That's actually uh, a very common practice, not exclusive to those variants. Uh, most of the time... If there's a variant that is likely to be popular, you have to order a certain amount of that book to get a certain amount of copies of that variant. So you might it might be five to one or ten to one or something like that. That's extremely common. Uh, in the case of those hip hop variant covers, they were very very popular. So um, that's that's a case where variant covers probably helped because I know that personally I bought a lot of books that I normally would never buy because they had the, the hip-hop variant cover that was something that I would love. Um, where it gets... That was... Um, go ahead. Who's the artist who does uh, I Hate Fairyland? Scotty Young. Scotty Young. His covers were like that, too, for a minute. Like, I, I knew a few people who, like, were just collecting That's his right. covers because the art was so good um, where they were buying books that they didn't follow. And I think that's the other side of the variant conversation that gets neglected a lot of times is that there are variants. It's it's not a one size fits all thing, you know, where there are variant covers based on the artist. You know, you get a Scotty Young and Alex Ross. People will buy artwork from them that has no words in it. They will buy just the cover. Uh, so when you can sell that at the price point of a regular comic and the person is only buying it because of who the artist is that's positive where it gets negative for the retailer isn't actually the variant cover itself it's the amount of the of regular editions of the book that they have to get in order to get that variant so if it's 10 to 1 and you want to get you know let's say five you're only going to get five copies of the variant if you order 50 of the regular edition and a lot of comic book stores cannot handle that volume so what ends up happening is you don't have enough of that variant to serve your 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 audience. You can't get it. Um, and then on top of that, if you're a smaller store and you order 30 issues 
of Captain America number 15, random issue, uh, just to get the Alex Ross variant, and maybe 10 or 15 of the regular edition sell, now you're left with 15 of the other ones that you only bought just to get the variant. So it's frustrating. Right. And like uh the one the one shop owner who I was referencing before, like I know he used to like kind of game the system because he owned two shops and he also has like a really vibrant online business. So like uh he'll buy a huge volume of the regular copies like just so he can get the number of variants that people actually want at the shop and then he has to like find ways to flip the extra books if people don't pick them up, which a lot of times they don't. So like he'll end up selling them in the aftermarket online and everything. And it ends up working out for him. But like, to your point, if you're a small shop, you don't have that option. And like he has employees and like he has enough employees and stuff where like he can put that time in to do that shit. Right. Cause he doesn't have to be in the store every day. It's kind of surprising that this kind of model of business practice kind of uh, lasted uh, past the bubble in the nineties. Cause um printing so many uh variant covers trying to cater to um a collector's market nearly destroyed the industry 25 years ago and it's it's kind of remarkable that the practice still exists in light of that well so there's a lot to unpack in what you just said i think a lot of comic <laughs> book a lot of comic book historians would argue that uh what actually threatened to kill the industry is the hero's world thing we talked about that a lot last week and um for those of you who may not have heard that i'll give you the very quick version marvel decided that they no longer wanted to do business in terms of publishing with anyone uh and so they bought hero's world which was a publisher and made that the exclusive publisher of marvel comics distributor distributor right distributor i'm sorry yeah we we talked about that Uh, the dcbs thing a couple weeks ago Right. So so there's that. The other part of it is that, uh, you know, variant covers are quite popular. A lot of times when you see people uh, getting their books signed, a lot of times it is a variant cover, maybe a rare variant cover that they have to increase the value of the book or just because they like it. I think one thing that's important to remember is that comics are expensive and that definitely creates a collector's mentality naturally among fans so they're inclined to want to get things like that so there's there's benefit where retailers lose out is what i said before where they have to order so many just to get one copy uh moving forward from the variant conversation uh another bullet point was the following longer delays between single issues and trade paperback release this empowers the single issues to feel more valuable month in and month out by making them the only way to read the comic We have to remove the, quote, I'll just wait for the trade mentality, quote. A very high majority of readers use this as a way to simply pass on a series. It was created, implemented, and is now a very destructive mechanism in the marketplace. Ah, yeah. I mean, that's a very retailer-centric attitude for sure because, like, I totally get why you would feel that way, right? Like, you're trying to move singles and you know like we've talked about how year over year more people are buying trades um so that's got to be directly affecting their business um if any percentage of people are going to an all-purpose store buying something on amazon or what the fuck ever you know um but that said like because of that 
same reason i don't think that the like i don't think publishers can afford to to not do that you know like um we talk all the time about how that works really well for image or has historically anyway like they do the first trade that's 10 bucks that's a way more accessible way to get into a new series if you're on the fence about it and you have a limited income you know like are you gonna buy six four dollar issues of a book that you're not sure that you'll like or ten dollars for the first arc and that's a pretty good way for you to decide if you want to keep reading it or not yeah uh this one is tough because i am probably not the i'm not the target for trades uh i buy what i want single issues and if i don't like it i stop um i don't trade weight anything i yeah, think you buy you'll buy a hardcover but that's not the same thing well i'll i'll buy it i'll buy i'll buy a trade of a book i never read if it's if it's out of if it's not in singles anymore or i'll buy trades as a catch-up mechanic but i'll never buy i'll never say hey i'm gonna trade weight that i've literally never had that thought before um, what I will say is that it's very easy to see how something like that could be uh, a negative for retailers. And there are other real world examples of this. So like, for example, Netflix, right? They'll put out Daredevil on TV or I'm sorry, on Netflix and you watch it and you enjoy it, whatever. A few months later. You can go to a store and buy Daredevil on DVD, but they don't put it out right away because they want as many people as possible to sign up for Netflix to watch it first. So I'm not going to argue about the validity of what they're saying, but I will point to another example of an industry where they do this for the reason of wanting to maximize the amount of dollars that they can earn. Yeah, I, I think one of the other things, at least the first thing that came to my mind was if they do move it to every two months, I think that's also beneficial for the publisher because presumably a six issue arc that would have taken six months to be published can run into less art issues, less writing issues. It'll be maybe even more consistent in its actual delivery, which ends up helping the series. Like one of the things that we mentioned when we did our Watchmen or um, our Doomsday Clock review was that the time in between was so long that it made it a chore to read because, oh, we forgot what happened in the last issue. Like we have to reread this. But if there's that, if you just expand the cadence a little bit, I don't think that that's going to hurt people's memory immediately. And at the same time, you can help prevent potential delays in that. Like Marco, it goes from six months to 12 months. I think you're. I think you're actually talking about something different than what they're pointing out. Uh, they're talking about the delay between a single issue arc wrapping and then that single issue arc being translated into trade. They oh, want is that what? Th- yeah, they want that timeline to be increased so that people are more inclined to go buy the single issues to kill like the that. trade weight mentality. Right, yeah, so that you can't just be like, oh, well, I'll wait until it wraps and then read everything, like, right away. Um. Well, and I mean, like, to Sean's point, like, that's also, like, what, like, think about, like, movies, right? Like, that's how every movie works. Like, you, if you want to be a part of the conversation while it's new and it's hot, you go see it in the theater, yep. you know? Um. And I think the whole, the point that they made that I think is most interesting is how trade waiting can translate to you never reading the book. Um. Because I do that with movies all the time. 
of like, oh, I want to see that, but I don't. Do I want to go to the theater to see it? Whatever, I'll catch it at some point, and then I never bother. You know. Um. So like, I'm sure that happens to a lot of people who say that they'll trade weight for a book, but you could also argue that if they if that's their mentality, were they that motivated to pick up the book in the first place? Right. So like, is that the trade waiting thing as a factor of that or, or not? It's an interesting point I hadn't considered, but I wonder if it's really a one for one there. Uh, obviously the biggest risk of trade waiting is if a book isn't popular enough to warrant mm. a trade. Yeah. If it doesn't it actually finish. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's, that's putting the onus on uh, readers to support the book before it gets traded so that it actually gets to that point. And I think, uh, you know, it gets dicey when you start, you know, saying what, how consumers should spend their money. Um, but I do think, in my opinion, it does make sense to do something like this in order to sort of, uh, and I mean this gently, frustrate readers into buying singles rather than waiting um, for the trade down the road. So another point, and we'll just do a couple more. Uh, another point is, and this I'm sure this will be controversial, delay digital release. Relatable entertainment media like movies have their digital releases months after they are released in theaters. It would be beneficial to not cannibalize the market share. Mm, that 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 seems more, and obviously this is retailer focus, but that seems like it's not keeping the consumer in mind, regardless of the market share that people consume either in store or digitally. I don't think that that's beneficial to the consumer, and. I, I from that standpoint, I, I I wouldn't agree with separate or delaying the digital release because it's silly. Like like yes, it'll incentivize people to go to the store, but it's not for the convenience of the consumer. And I think that that's not. I think that that's more important. I think I think it's also um, a little bit disingenuous, like the comparison that's being made there, because I don't think that comics are necessarily analogous to the release of like a film because like and maybe this is like just because that's the model of films and that's what we've come to expect but i i think of like when a movie is released like that that's like an event that you're supposed to go to a place and engage with it in that way whereas like with a like a book right like you're just you're getting the book to read the book and you want to read the book well and the idea if I can add to that, it, yeah, it, yeah. a movie is also a full package. Yeah, that's a great point too. Um, and and I think that that argument of being like you should stagger the digital release, it's also um, that's a very retailer minded thing because it creates a problem for the publishers, you know. And like I know that, you know, especially with Marvel and DC, we like to be like, well, they can afford it, they can do whatever they need to do, they should support the industry. If that's what's right for the industry, that's what they should do. But in the same breath, like you think about it. We talked about how DC wanting to move their publishing of comics to Tuesday to match up with everything else is probably in part a convenience factor. Imagine, say that there's a one-month stagger, I guess, right? Or a two-week stagger between when a book comes out in the shop and when you can get it digitally. Then you have two totally separate publishing schedules that you need to maintain and think about you know, when things are getting released and where are they getting released and at what time and, oh, are the digital people complaining because they had it spoiled for them or, you know, whatever. And it's like you I, – it's an anti-consumer move and it is also, I think, an anti-publisher move. Well, it already exists for things like comiXology. 
like you can't you you know comiXology unlimited is a subscription service but you can't get the brand new stuff as soon as it comes out you still have to wait you know three to six months for them to put it on comiXology unlimited but you can but you can buy it right you can buy it right and they're saying that they would want to stagger even just the purchase ability and i think i think that's a really like tough sell you know like i i understand why they would want that to be that way and if i owned a comic book store i'm sure i'd agree with them um but i don't think it's i don't think it's like fair to expect anyone to be cool with that shift because like and not to um get like too far back but like we've also talked about how historically it's it's only 10 percent of the market that buys digitally anyway and sean is always the one to make the point that like if you buy physical you buy physical and you're probably not going to be swayed to buy digital that's probably true for the digital reader as well right like they don't want single issues in their house they don't want a they don't want a long box that they need to maintain or whatever right like they want the ease of i oh the book's out i want it on my tablet and i'm going to read it and then i'm done i think that's probably the most salient point of all the ones that you guys made Uh, i think the other stuff is a lot of like it's 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 not i don't think it's very different than a movie i I don't it doesn't matter how long a movie is or whatever or if it's an event i think you know for me going to midtown comics is an event you know that's that's an event in my life so um you know it's all the same i think the the biggest key is that you shouldn't frustrate the digital reader who is established because they are established but from a retailer perspective there are new potentially new comic book fans all the time and you would want those people to engage with comics physically because that i mean i think it's pretty inarguable that the physical sale of a comic is the only sale that helps every single point in the chain. Whereas a digital comic always leaves out the retailer uh, and presumably diamond. So is is this a conversation that ever comes up with like video games? Cause this is the other example I can think of. So obviously there's been stories for years now about uh, video game retailers like GameStop going out of business because people can just buy games on like a digital market on their console or whatever. Like has there been like a dialogue about oh let's let's stagger off the release of a game on a digital platform so that people can try to buy it at a at a at a uh, brick and mortar first? I'll no, su- I'll um, support. And I think I'll support GameStop when they give me more than a dollar on my barely touched <laughs> traders. <laughs> um, no, and and I I think that it's the the conversation there's a little bit different, right? Because like I think the reason that games can't move to an all digital model or a more a mostly digital model model in the way that um that a lot of other media has is because of internet caps um data caps are a huge problem because like speed can be an issue but like think about like um australia for example which is a pretty big gaming market their data caps are i think it's like 100 gigs a month um and a lot of video games that you download nowadays are upwards of 50 to 100 gigabytes you know, like if you download the new Call of Duty, that's 100 gigabytes. That could be your entire internet cap for the month. That's you can't watch Netflix anymore because you downloaded this game. Damn, so, people have internet caps. Um, yeah, dog. yeah, in lots of countries uh, and go ahead, in this country too. 
like my my parents in in rural Oklahoma have had like a a fifty gig uh, data cap. Data cap. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, and then there's also the angle of it that hardware is dependent on being sold in retail stores, so you can't piss off retailers because you need to have uh you can't have major like price or or disparity or anything like that. So if anything, the connection to retail has kind of been holding back the advancement of digital games. And I feel like that's not as analogous to comics because of the realities of like what we always talk about, where I think that there are people who really care about buying comics physically. And there are gamers like that, but I don't think that they're as, I don't think that market is as entrenched. I think if it was easier and more accessible to download games for everybody, like right now you're seeing a huge spike in people buying games digitally because I'd rather be able to play the game than have a fucking thing I can stick on my wall. Who gives a shit, right? Like, and I think with comics, like you're so much more tied to your shop than you are your local GameStop. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad I gave you a chance to talk about video games, Pete. Thanks, buddy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do. I'll do one more. Um. I'll, yeah, I'll just do. I'll just do one. Uh. So. It's a short one, but I think there's a lot underneath it. Line of dollar comics with original content from publishers that drive the bus. So huh. that's so short that I feel the need to add a little bit more to that. So what they're suggesting is maybe there's an issue or maybe there's a title among the Dawn of X lineup that's a dollar that Jonathan Hickman writes. Uh, because it's a very, very easy way to slide somebody into, hey, this book's only a dollar. But if you want to know what else is happening in the X-Men storyline, you got to pick up the, you should think about picking up these other books. And it's really easy to say, all right, sure, I'll buy, I'll buy this for a dollar. And while I'm here, yeah. I'll buy this for three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great idea. Um, I think it would be really cool, and this is just prognostication at this point, like, or no, that's the opposite of what I mean. Um, <laughs> I'm bullshitting, is what I'm saying. Uh, oh, The idea of it, like, <laughs> yes, there you go. Uh, imagine they, like, kind of renewed one of the, like, classic Marvel brands like they did with 2-in-1, where it was, like, one of the kind of, like, like, it's like an old school anthology where it would be, like, okay, cool, it's, uh, it's a buck, and it's, you know, maybe it's a, a regular you know, 30 page comic or whatever. And there's like a 10 page Spider-Man story and a five page X-Men story, whatever. And like, they loosely connect to what's going on in the main book or whatever, or something where it's like, if you want to read more adventures of Spider-Man, go pick up the amazing Spider-Man and here's when it comes out. And here's what, you know, like whatever. I think that would be a great idea. I think that's obviously a great way to like, um, if you're just at the shop anyway, and you're like, well, let's see, I, you know, I haven't been checking on what's going on in Marvel, but I heard Spider-Man's good right now. Like, why don't I grab this? Um, that sounds appealing, but I think there's also the angle that we always talk about where like something that could be really accessible for kids, you know, if like you're at the shop, it's a buck, like, yeah, okay, cool. There's a thing for my kid to shut up for a few hours while they read this book. I I think, think, uh, just quickly, the, uh, uh, image has their image first line. And I think that's very successful, um, to, to bring people into, to that fold. Well, and those are only like a buck fifty, right, or something like that. I think they're a dollar. Marvel and DC both do publish uh, 
old comics. They have their facsimile editions. Uh, I've purchased a couple of them from Marvel. I am pretty sure they're a dollar. Um, but that's not necessarily what they're talking about here. I think I, I personally think that that's a very, very good idea. Logistically, though, I don't know how it works because everybody in the chain has to figure out how they're going to make money off that singular dollar. Yeah. Um, and do creators yep. get paid less because the comic is a dollar? I think the publishers would 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 have to take it on the chin. Like, I think that they would have to accept that that is a product that makes less money with the hope that it drives new readership to books that do make money. Right. Which is like a pretty – it's a great idea on paper, but I think asking them to make that decision is like something that is probably unlikely. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I I really enjoyed reading this sort of, you know, bullet Very point plan. Uh, hopefully it was enjoyable for you guys to listen to. There are a lot more. So if you're interested in this kind of thing, uh, check out the Bleeding Cool article. It'll be linked to um, and, and ruminate over them. You know, I, I still believe that it's important to understand this industry as much as you can, because it's it's not just one where you kind of like, you know, if you buy a video game, it doesn't really matter as much what's going on behind that, because the it, video game industry is not in danger of not existing. You know, um, I don't know a lot of people who read comics that read them passively. I don't know a lot of people who read comics who don't engage or who don't care about the creators or don't have an interest in the larger industry. So if you're that person who's into that stuff, definitely give this a shot and check it out. Worth your time. So let's let's move forward and let's talk about Lunar. Now, Lunar alongside UCS, a.k.a. DCBS and Midtown Comics, respectively, are the two new distributors that have uh, sprung up and broken the monopoly that Diamond had on distribution in comics. So recently, uh, Newsarama did an interview with Christina Merkler, who is from DCBS and Lunar, uh, about how things are going and what they expect for the future uh, once Diamond resumes selling comics on May 20th. And she had a very interesting perspective that I think is worth chewing on for a little bit. Before I get into that, I do want to say, keep in mind that uh, Newsarama interviewed Christina way back and she actually, without revealing anything, hinted that they had been having ongoing conversations with DC Comics about a possible solution to the problem of no comics being put out. And that solution ended up being, you know, Lunar, uh, which I think is really interesting. So uh, she had this to say. We have had a few smaller publishers inquire, but we have not signed anyone else. We have had several inquiries, and we plan to follow up with them in the next week or so. We are still adding to our infrastructure and processes and do not want to take on more until those are complete and we have our systems running smoothly. For quite some time, DCBS has received inquiries from many small publishers regarding distribution that may not currently have distribution set up through Diamond. 
Now that we have essentially been forced to create some infrastructure due to the crisis, we may be able to accept those requests in the future. With the infrastructure we've built to distribute DC's comics as Lunar, we could still potentially help other publishers, even those that aren't even really being serviced by Diamond or those that want an alternative. I think there will be a place for Lunar when Diamond returns. Once Diamond is up and running and fully back to business, we'll probably reevaluate everything on the Lunar side of things and our focus going forward. I think that focus would be taking care of independent publishers who may not currently be serviced by Diamond. So what's interesting there is that we've talked about whether or not Lunar and UCS will be a real second and third option or they're just a stopgap for DC to kind of use in the interim. Not included in the piece that I referenced is that uh, Marvel has not reached out to Lunar or UCS at all about this. Um, Do you guys foresee a situation where more publishers jump on board with this? Or do you see the solidarity that we've seen so far as something that will be longer term. She does say that they haven't wanted to take on anyone other than DC while they figure stuff out. Is there a backlog of publishers that want to jump on board that might once they're willing to accept more people? I think there have to be some who are considering it. Um, I Obviously, we, we referenced earlier that um, you know Steve Gepian and Diamond, I think, have a pretty good reputation in the industry. Um, but... You know them calling out that there are a lot of smaller publishers who might not be being as well serviced by Diamond. I'm sure that that's something that makes sense. Um, and I think what might be so to answer your question first of all, do I think that there are other publishers potentially lined up or who are eyeing it? I do. I think that any publisher is probably eyeing it as a serious um, option, but they're probably waiting to see how it pans out for DC rather before they go and jump ship and potentially damage their relationship with diamond who might end up just becoming the status quo again anyway that being said i think what could be potentially more interesting is what this as a potential second option even if it's a much smaller piece of the pie what that could mean for those smaller publishers who weren't able to get access to diamond or who weren't putting out enough volume or something like that um and what new publishers might crop up to meet this you know um this new avenue right because we always have all these pop-up publishers coming out like heavy metal launched one how long ago that we talked about we talk about it like every few months somebody's throwing their hat in the comics ring and the idea that somebody could be like hey there's this new distributor they're probably hungry for a new business this might be a time to jump in and make a deal with them and you know i i think i think that is is Potentially the more interesting question is like, do we see a wave of new publishers right now? One of the, uh, I think, I, I do think that some some companies might end up, or some publishers might end up going to these distributors or even to Pete's point starting their own. Um, and the, for example, like I, th- I think Alterna has been kicked out from Diamond. They, they don't, uh, ship their materials out anymore and so like they might be one that um, might end up going might, might end up having to do that especially if they want to get their comics out there at, at retailers um, or they had pulled out at some point but at, at any rate like there definitely are p- 
publishers out there that would need that for that additional exposure and who would need that because to our points earlier when we were talking about like things to better the um the retailer experience those like additional variant covers let's say have been taking the spot of what could be like a a, a much smaller publisher uh i know at my lcs they don't bring in um they didn't bring in things from like black crown or from uh black mask unless you specifically ask for it because they wouldn't have any other reason to um they they, they don't want to risk that unless they know that somebody's 100 percent going to buy it and um so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that there's a viability there for other people to join this publisher and be able to find some success with it, or distributor rather. The other thing that came up when I was thinking about this was, remember back in 2017, it was when Oni Press switched over to Simon & Schuster? Oh yeah. Like, maybe like if this ends up being a better option, like I could see them making a switch or other publishers and that similar kind of like... You know, we're not in that top three, but we make up somewhere in the top ten, like Marco said, like the black masks or the, the dark horses or whatever. Like if they can offer them a better deal, um, to try and steal some of Diamond's business away, I don't I don't think that's out of the question. Yeah. Um I, I, I feel like this is gonna be one of the bigger stories to follow going forward because it could really open up the floodgates. Uh, and I think what's been happening has inspired people already. So Scout Comics um, mm-hmm. is actually has, has found a way to um, put their own books out. And they've partnered up with uh, with uh, a print with a print a printer uh, to do just that. They put out a press release. Uh, talking about it, and I won't get into all that, but you know, I'm I'm feeling like there's an inspiration among publishers that hey, you know, whatever problems we might have had with Diamond, or maybe we can't actually get in into business with Diamond, we can do other things, and you know, it's it's funny what happens when you know you don't have a monopoly, you know, and, and I'm not a I don't have problems with Diamond. But I do think between this, what we're talking about now, and some of the stuff we discussed last week about the, or I think it was last week, about the way that stores received their packages of DC Comics and how mm-hmm. well they were they were they were packaged yeah. and you know they arrived neatly and nicely without those annoying um, damages on the edges that always happen. Um, you know, this could present a change in the industry that. Maybe isn't revolutionary, but does have a positive impact. I want to call out one more thing that it was said in the uh, the Bleeding Cool article. Uh, it says a commonly so the 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 thing it says here is Diamond has a minimum order levels that some publishers find hard to meet. A commonly stated example of this is that if it weren't for Oni Press's other titles bumping up the numbers, Scott Pilgrim would have received far too. Uh, Sorry, received too few orders for Diamond to have agreed to distribute it on its own. Hundreds, thousands of comics projects have fallen by the wayside over the last two decades with similar stories. So that's another thing to think is like, you know, um, obviously Scott Pilgrim, a huge hit for Oni and to think that it could have died on the vine um, because of, of the way that Diamond operates. Like if Lunar can present um, a legitimate alternative, like that can make a huge difference in like the the you know kinds of books that are able to get wide distribution 
Mm-hmm. And um, especially right now, because Diamond isn't coming back in full force, like let's say they don't have the newest Dark Horse books or the newest IDW books, um, or just generally because there aren't as many in circulation um, that are being printed, that's that's an entry point for any other publisher, you know? Because that volume isn't there, they, they could take advantage of the fact that, oh, you know, Dark Horse has always been able to put out books and do whatever but like check it out like we now can insert ourselves into this area because those other publishers aren't aren't there to be able to produce that volume yeah there's space on the shelves yeah in a way that there hasn't been like we talked about last week about how uh significant marvel is cutting back their offerings you know um that that does have a potential to really benefit indies because people who might have been buying you know like five or ten marvel books or something like that now there's only you know, ten on the on the shelves at all. So I bet a few of the ones you were snapping are gone. Maybe you grab an indie book. I would love I would love for that to be the case. Yeah, uh, we need I hope that. So. Yeah. So let's talk about something a little more fun. Earlier in the week, people started to notice that via Amazon, uh, they were able to pre order. The New Mutants movie. Hey. <laughs> now, we, we've we talked about this movie, oh my God, for, for years. years. For years. <laughs> Literal years. Since we started. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and the question has not even been so much about will it be good. It's been more about will we ever see this movie. Yeah. And I think a lot of people there was there was a mix of opinions about the potential of being able to just buy it. Um, it was available for pre-order, like I said, on Amazon uh, HD for twenty six dollars, which is a pretty steep yeah. price point. Um, yeah, that is pretty high. Yeah, but it didn't say when you would actually be able to watch it. Um, now, first. I'll ask you guys, does this surprise you? This is fucking hilarious, dude. Nah. <laughs> this movie ain't coming out. <laughs> yeah, a little um, bit. Like, I don't know. Wouldn't you think it would drop on, like, Disney Plus? Because it's a Disney-owned uh, thing now? But, like, it is, but but it's not like a Disney production. No, it is. You know, like yeah. I know they have non, you know, like Simpsons is on Disney Plus or whatever, but like Well, Simpsons is I feel like debuting money. a new Marvel thing. Right, exactly. Exactly. And I think like putting on like a new Marvel property that's from a series that you're, you know, mo- like going to be canceling. Mm, it's 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 a weird message to to people who aren't in the know, I think. Now, what if I told you that this isn't happening? Oh, oh okay. Yep. Kill's right. <laughs> it's never coming out. We're not going to see it. So, I hate vindicating Kale ever. <laughs> if it helps, it doesn't feel good for me either. <laughs> so, uh, it didn't last long. The listing was actually removed. And according to THR, Marvel still wants to put the movie out in theaters. 
Um, but it won't be a tentpole release. They're not going to build their schedule around it or anything like that. So this horror movie is not even going to come out in October. <laughs> the horror movie was this thing being like the production of it, like the, this, this pre-production hell. That's the in. actual release. Yeah, <laughs> I I gotta I gotta ask like. Where are we at with this now? Do you guys think this will actually come out? Because yes. I, I don't, I still truly don't know. Kill answer. I truly you. don't know. Nah. Kale said no. Sean says yes. I think it will come out. Now, will it come out this year? I think that's easy, easy to answer, and, and the answer is no. Yeah, definitely not. Give me the new mutants like, cut. Is it next year then? <laughs> like, oh my god! <laughs> no, just release new mutants. Like, just any cut will do. <laughs> October twenty twenty one. I mean, that's a long time from now. But yeah, it could happen though. Or January. It's just, it's just so funny because, like, what was the original release date for this film? Wasn't it like twenty fifteen? Nineteen ninety three. No, it was twenty eighteen. I think so. Legend has it this movie was set to release every year for the last 400 years. (gasps) (laughs) But but Phil, New Mutants has been dead for 70 years. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I don't even remember who's in this stupid movie. I'm sitting here trying to make a joke, and I've been trying. I can't Dude, come up with any actors' what, names to what's fucking. What's her name? Aria. What's her name? Uh, yeah, that was a yeah, great uh, cast. Maisie Williams. Maisie. Maisie yeah, Williams. Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones is in it. Uh, she's like, by the time it's out, she's gonna look like she's gonna have been. She'll like she look grew. like a child. She, she you know? Yeah. Oh my she, god. She, yeah. She's grown now. <laughs> she's forty now. What the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does have a, a good cast, and I think when we when we first talked about it, or not when we first talked about it, when we last talked about the movie when it got its trailer, um, it's third said, or it looked fourth good. <laughs> it does, it does look good. It's just like what the fuck. Even ever- even even the recent stuff that's come out, uh, oh, some of yeah. the monsters and the effects and stuff, it it looks dope. Yeah, I'm very surprised at how good it looks, but. It ain't coming out. It was supposed to be out April 2018, by the way. It could okay. be good. Uh, three whole years removed. I think it by will the be time good. it actually hits theater. For, I think it will for, be good. For that a movie that's I, already this old, I need to recycle an old bit, which is it could be good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm with Sean. I think if it actually sees the fucking light of day, it probably will be good. It's just like... When, where, and how will we ever see it really, truly remains to be seen. Scientists are still in disagreement that it even ever got really made. I think that's going to be such weird mixed messaging for Disney, too, because it's going to come out. And if it's good, they're going to be like, so, Fuck. wait, do people actually want this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if anything, it'll just embolden them with the X Men stuff that they're planning. You know, I, I think Marvel has always, or Disney rather, has always looked at at sort of inheriting this movie as like, all right, well, we have it. It doesn't fit with our plans, but it's still a made movie. So let's just put it out and see what happens. You know, it's it's not any money that they put in on the production end because it was already made. So. Um, if anything, I think it'll tell them that people still want mutants. 
they still care about them, and that it's time. Although I don't know that they necessarily need this movie to do well to, to understand that. Yeah, I think I think what's going to be confusing about that is that this isn't this this ain't your grandpappy's mutants. No, but I don't I don't I don't think that matters. Like I feel like the X Men are like have been so saturated in media. Like maybe not over the last decade or whatever, but like in the nineties and like early two thousands, like there's so much X Men media that like. I have a hard time thinking that like general audiences aren't familiar enough with the idea that like a subversion of it is going to like confuse them. Hold on. I'm going to interrupt you here. Are we all just going to gloss over the dumb thing Kale just said where he said this is not your grandpappy's mutants when the name of the movie is New Mutants? (laughs) The new old mutants? (laughs) The The, old new mutants? The new 30-year-old mutants. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Truly Generation X. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Shit. (laughs) That's good. I'm not whiffing today, boys. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens to me. Plenty of episodes left. left. (laughs) So, unfortunately, we know that San Diego Comic-Con was canceled. But my question to you guys is, are you ready for Comic-Con... At home. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Honestly, I'm surprised that Kale didn't jump at that chance because he's like, oh, my God, great. I can, like, still meet my obligation to you guys to participate in Comic-Con without having to see another living person. Perfect. When have I – when has that ever been part of the conversation? Why? Like, why would you ever think I would volunteer that? Kale, if, if if I can get away with doing as little as possible, I think we all know I'm gonna. We've noticed. Um, <laughs> yikes! <laughs> so on on um, on May eighth, so yesterday for us, a couple a few days later for you guys listening now, uh, San Diego Comic Con on Twitter put out a teaser for what is going to be Comic Con at home. And I recommend you watch it because it's pretty funny. They kind of poke fun at themselves for, you know, the the obvious things that people always complain about when you go to Comic-Con, like long lines, the fact that you can't even get tickets, um, snacks that don't suck, uh, <laughs> the ability to bring <laughs> pets, and Ooh, all that jazz. One. Yeah. You know what I thought was really weird about it? Like, they're using the Star Wars font. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's not a particularly like Star Warsy like look to it otherwise, but it's the Star Wars font. Like the music is kind of like you know, it's got that real triumphant kind of orchestra. But like I don't know, it's just weird. In a big parents, and bold, in a parent's yeah. basement far, far away. Where parents <laughs> don't have to travel to pilgrimage, pilgrimage <laughs> travels to them. <laughs> it's also a uh you know, a text based thing that you're meant to read probably on a phone so they wanted to stand out a little more um i i i i'm fine i like the announcement well enough but i don't know what the hell this means this means i don't have to shower oh that didn't stop you <laughs> I before mean, bud yeah <laughs> um i feel like it's gonna be like like a lot of the stuff 
that we come to expect is not going to be there, right? Like, obviously, vendors and stuff like that. I don't know what that means. Like, I'm sure that there will be retailers who do Comic-Con exclusives and stuff in the same way that that already happens, right? Like, uh, Hot Topic does exclusive Funko Pops every year for San Diego. And obviously, you can get those at any Hot Topic. Um, So I'm sure we'll see stuff like that. But I'm thinking it'll mostly be, like, panel-oriented. Like, whatever panels we were going to do will be over Zoom or whatever. So, yeah, that's the thing that I don't get. In in years past, I've certainly watched panels on, like, YouTube videos of San Diego Comic-Con panels, right? Like, that, that, that was interesting. I think I watched, like, the Netflix uh marvel stuff there was panels for that over the years just to give a uh, an, an example that came up in this episode how is that any different than how's what they're gonna do any different than what i would already do with san diego comic-con before well i think that's the thing right is like it, uh, ostensibly it's not like the thing is like if you're somebody who has never been able to go to san diego and you just watch online like i think there won't be the production there won't be a live audience there will be a change but your experience overall shouldn't change that much. Um, I think it's more for the people who are used to going that it's not the same. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, I, I got an email from read pop, uh, about like how it'll affect you. Um, and, and in it, they were sort of asking like, what, what is it that you want to see? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be canceling it, but, uh, like, what do you, what do you want to see? What are sort of like the things and categories that are, would be interesting and I mean, most of the stuff was just like online panels, learning from the pros, connecting with industry professionals, like the things that I would have been doing there anyway, yeah. but mm. over, over zoom, like that's, that's totally fine. So, I mean, as much as like, I would miss the retailers or the creators, cause that's obviously the, the stuff that we love to go and, and be able to chat them up with. But, um, outside of that, like, uh, Outside of being there, I don't think the experience will wholly change, and I don't think I'm going to pay to have that experience. Where to Phil's point, um, unless I'm meeting somebody, I can watch it on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. I almost want to pay just to like support it, see what it's like. Yeah, and like have us like experience it and talk about it. You know, because it's obviously unprecedented, and it's going to be interesting to see how they solve these problems that we're talking about. Well, you guys are, are approaching this from the perspective that there will be a, a charge. You think they're going to sell tickets to this? Digital, virtual tickets? I, I, I'm thinking I've they seen, will. Yeah, I've seen others where, like, especially for meeting greets, uh, for for certain, like, famous people. I, I forgot they, they had the cast of, I think, the Power Rangers for one of them. Um, f- for one of the wizard worlds maybe um but they had asked to to pay for like access to be able to to talk with them and chat with them and stuff yeah for for those types of things i think that makes absolute sense but just for general access to yeah. a virtual floor where you can you know watch for example an interview with a creator or watch a you know, news, a news thing being broken down, like, oh, uh, the announcement of a new comic or something like that. Um, do you think they would charge you a ticket or charge you for a virtual ticket that gives you access to those kinds of things? Yeah. I feel like they will per- they will offer some kind of virtual ticket. I don't know that it'll be required for everybody, but I imagine that they will. Because, like, I'm thinking of it as being, like, analogous to, like, BlizzCon. Because that's um, Activision Blizzard 
you know, video game company, Blizzard, best known for World of Warcraft and Overwatch and all that stuff. Uh, BlizzCon is their annual big convention for all their fans, and they do sell online tickets. And if you can't go to the actual convention center, you can pay for the digital access and you get, you know, certain perks along with that. You get stuff in games and shit like that. So, um, you know, I don't I don't know what that looks like, but I have to imagine that Read Pop isn't just going to organize this for free. Yeah, and I, I definitely I think because like in other industries, like I know if I want to attend some sort of panel on like marketing, it has to be you have to get access and pay. Sure. Um Sure. Yeah. To in order to attend like a Q and A, some sort of uh, like webinars. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's an infrastructure there that I think they might take advantage of. I think it'll be a lot cheaper. Yes. But. Yeah, I I gotta figure they need to find a way to to make money off of this, but I just hope that this is more of an opportunity for us to kind of get together as a community, you know, like a feel-good moment, and less about maximizing the dollar. I'm hoping that they can balance that well enough because I think the thing that's interesting, right, is that, like, there will be a production cost associated with this, like, and we make a show, right? Like, we all know that, like, there's stuff I have to do. I've got programs running and everything to make sure we have a video and – like there's problems that you need to solve and money that needs to be spent to make that stuff happen, but it's got to be cheaper than renting out a huge convention hall and the you know Javits having to like Center. wrangle people and stuff like that. So the overhead is probably a lot less. So you could probably like you know like think like what if the ticket's like five bucks and you think about like how many millions of people you could sell a five dollar ticket to versus the max number of people you can have at a convention center and you have to charge a certain amount of money for it to be profitable you know whereas with this like you lower the barrier of entry a lot more people like are going to be willing to bite and be like oh yeah like let's see what the fuck's up and maybe you have some good giveaways or something like that like you raffle some shit you give away some digital comics like there's a lot that you can do to incentivize that package in the way that blizzard does you know, and make people think, yeah, no. Because I think the tickets for BlizzCon online are like, what, like 20 bucks or something like that. Like, it's not a lot. The virtual but it's not ticket for BlizzCon? Isn't it like, isn't it like somewhere around there? No. Or are they way more expensive? It's way more expensive than that. Uh, what is it? They, so I don't remember the exact amount, but I know that it was something that was prohibitive for me. I wasn't, I wasn't down to, to buy it. Um, but you did get a lot of goodies and things like that. Um, was that also while they were having um, like a physical thing? Yeah. So it yeah. gave you access to the stream so you could watch any of the events that were going on. But again, it's a physical space. So you're watching people right. live play a video game or a costume contest, things like that. You also do get some digital things like uh, pets in Warcraft or different stuff like that. So this is old. But in twenty, I found a post on the Blizz blog from twenty sixteen, and they were forty bucks. Yeah, so I wasn't, and, and I'm not even sure that's the only price point. I don't remember how exactly, but um, I remember never wanting to spend that much money just yeah. to be able to watch a stream. Yeah, yeah. I think in this year, though, that's a way easier value prop because people are fucking desperate for things, like. 
I don't know. Maybe. It's an interesting idea. I mean, it's not like the virtual ticket didn't sell for Blizzard. It just didn't sell for me. They didn't get it. For, right. They didn't get my 40 bucks. It's definitely something yeah. that people in, invested in. Uh, will they do it for this? Maybe. I think the biggest difference, though, is that there's nothing physical to watch. You know, um, you're not going to be able to watch a Hearthstone tournament finals through mm. this. And you don't, you don't think that, like, panels are... Like the like having this kind of like scenario for a panel is like something that people are willing to chip in for, or are you just saying you're not sure? I'm not sure, but I think what Phil said is 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 very much where I where I lie with it, where it's like you could watch that for free. Yep. You know, like every other yeah. year you just wait till it's on YouTube and you just watch it. Yep. And that's the Maybe only like, like that's the main thing they're gonna be able to offer. I'm I'm wondering if one of the things that they'll push is that like you could get your questions answered like if you were there and that kind of stuff and oh so if they did obviously like a, there's a limit yeah. to that though and yeah how yeah. many yeah. How, how many questions do they usually field at these panels right like less than fifteen Depends. and that's like a, I think that's a liberal number uh so if you have like a YouTube live stream or something where there is some kind of incentive where you have to pay they're not gonna sit there for like two hours answering you know at least Everybody's. hundreds of people putting questions in or or if you want to, to ask a question you have to pay yeah that's such a weird like gash upon way of trying to get like celebrities to answer questions they're fanatics though that'll absolutely do it though yeah like if there's a level where you can guarantee your question that kind of thing sure like, we're already seeing something kind of like this with the uh fuck what's that uh, hashtag like all in challenge that's happening on Twitter and, and, and Facebook where celebrities are for auction. Uh, you know, if you bid the most money, you they'll offer you a special package or something. That's not even something we're talking about with panels. Like, like there's like, I, I just don't, it doesn't seem like a realistic thing. But what happens if 50 people pay to get their question answered by Kevin Feige? They're not going to sit there and, ask let 50 questions get rattled off and have to do an interview on top of that so there has to be yeah. some type of way to it have to be like a raffle or something yeah like a yeah or they'll be like you get an entry if you're at this level and then mm. we'll randomly pick 15 of them or something yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so lots to lots to you know decipher and 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 wait for answers on i'm excited to see what they end up doing but I don't know if this will be for me. But either way, when they do announce the date and the particulars, we'll be here and we'll be covering it like we always do. It's what we do. But now, we're actually going to do something different than what we always <gasps> do. We're going to play oh, no, thank you. a game. <gasps> and That's it's right. a game that Phil came up with. So if it sucks, you oh, know who to no. blame. Audible okay. gasp. And it's currently called Comics Clues. Comics Clues. I like how you said it's currently called Comics Clues because I'm waiting for Sean to workshop a better title it's, within the first five minutes of the segment. It's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's jump into it. Uh, Phil came up with this game. He he produced it himself. This is his baby. So I'm going to actually turn over control of the show to Phil so that he can, you know, host this thing uh, and uh, hopefully – it's going to be fun, and you guys can probably play along at home in to some degree based on how the game is formatted. That's right. We'll this, see how it goes. This is the second time in two weeks that this has happened. Three weeks. I know, right? 
Hmm. I wasn't even on the show last week. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'll, you'll have a great, this is a good opportunity to interact at home if you want. So, uh, how well do you guys know these characters that appear on your funny pages on the big silver screen? Well, today we're going to find out in today's new segment, Comics Clues. I have in front of me five different characters, and for our purposes, they're going to be uh, uh, established by letters. So we'll have A, B, C, D, and E. Uh, I know which letter corresponds to which character, and you guys will soon too. Uh, so the way the game works is we're going to take turns uh, one at a time with each person having a chance to pick a letter at random. So let's just hypothetically, we'll give an example, say Sean is the one that goes first. We'll say he picks letter A. And I will provide three clues right out of the gate for each character. So let's say for the letter A, I say this character is a superhero because I will provide whether or not they're a supervillain or, or a superhero if it, it fits. Uh, I will establish what year they created, which is also the first clue. So I'll say this is 1938. And I will establish, uh, what was the third thing? I already forgot. That's good. The publisher? When oh, yeah. They were established. The, yeah that was it. Yeah. The, the publisher. So I'll say it was DC, Dark Horse, Image, and so forth. Um, and so then I will give you 10 categories, which I'll read now. Uh, maybe we could tweet this out if you need it written down. I don't think you will. These are the f- 10 category clues. The first one is the year they were created, which I already provided. Uh, the number, the second one is their canon height and weight. The third is the creative team that created them. The fourth is the most famous color palette of their most widely recognized appearance. Next is their very first appearance, which comic book issue. Six is the number of films that they are in, if they are in any. The next one, number seven, is general supporting characters, if they have them. Eight is how they got their superpowers, if they have any. Nine is their most prominent antagonist. And ten is their most recognizable love interest. I already provided this list for our fellow pals, so they'll have them. So... Based on the information I gave Sean, 1938, DC Comics, they're a superhero. Sean will say this and say, I think I can get this in eight clues. At which point, the first pal that interjects has a chance to steal. So we'll say, Pete says, well, you know what? I can get this in seven clues. Uh, Sean has the chance to say, well, I can get it in six. Or he can say, all right, Pete, you got it. Give it a shot. Uh, Or again, uh, Pika said I can get in five. It, it's a, we have a bartering system here. And the reason that is, is if you can get it in one clue at the very outset, the year they were created, you get 10 points. If you need all 10 clues, you only get one point. However, if you try to steal and you fail, you will lose three points for trying to steal from the other person. Um, however, if that person fails that tried to steal, the original person, in this case, Sean, has a chance to uh, succeed uh, with the original uh, mount he said he had. And in this case, the answer is Superman. Uh, all the characters listed are recognizable. There's no real tricks or anything. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. So the other thing is, if both fail, uh, everyone playing the game here will have a chance to get one point in a free-for-all competition Uh with the remainder of the clues. If no one's able to do that, no one gets any points. So everyone will have a turn uh, as the person that has the category in front of them. And one person 
randomly based on whoever does it first will be able to steal. Uh, in total, there are five letters. We'll do four and we'll use a fifth if we need to uh, go into overtime for some reason. Um, so yeah, Sounds that's great. That's the rules. Any other questions here? Quick question. Yeah. Uh, you're keeping track of the points? Yes. Okay. I, Sounds good. I will write them down. <laughs> Uh, now the question is to decide who goes first. So, uh, the way that we're going to decide who goes first is you, Phil, are going to think of a number. Okay. And we're going to guess the number, and whoever is closest is going to go first. Sounds good. And then uh, in the order from there. Okay. We'll do uh, 1 to 10, I guess. You want to do that? Or 1 to 100? Uh, 1 to 15, just to All widen right. it a little. Okay, I got my number. Uh, who wants to guess first? Me. Twelve. Okay. Ooh, Thirteen. What'd you, okay. Six. Three. Kale got it on the nose. The number I was thinking was three. Okay. Damn. And we'll do it so by who Kale got it closest first. from there. So Sean said six. Right. He goes second. Pete says 12. Marco goes last because he said 13. So we'll do it that way. Cool. All right. All right. Uh, so, Kale, pick a letter, A through E. Completely. Uh, yeah, completely random. No, you know what? I'll I'll, I'll uh, tell you I'll tell you the publisher of each letter and we'll leave it at that. So no, no, okay, no, no. completely random. <laughs> That's fine, completely random. A through E. Uh, D. D. Okay. Uh, he likes that D. He likes that as D. in my dick. Yes. <laughs> okay. It is a DC Comics character. Uh, they generally side on the side of bad. And they were created in 1940. Mm. How many clues do you need to solve this? Five. You think you need five? Does anyone want to try to see? I think I need to do it in five. Okay. Not this time. Okay. We're just going to leave it be. Kale, you're good. I'm going to give you five clues on this. uh, And you will try to... Solve them five. You have a chance for five points. Okay. Uh, okay. They were created in 1940, as I previously said. They are five foot seven, 125 pounds. They were created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. They generally are most recognizable in black and purple. And they first debuted in Batman number one. Who is the character? Wow. The- the Joker? Nope. Okay, we're in a free-for-all mode. I'm going to give you the next clue. Uh, since someone tried to steal, at this point, it is just one. Okay, so uh, they were in three movies. Anyone want to interject? Me. Okay, Marco? Uh, Catwoman. There you go. Marco gets yep. a point. Yes, ah. oh, Batman number one, of course. Uh, I, I didn't know about that. I figured, like, typically the side of good uh, or bad, I'm like, hmm, who's like. That was what made me think, yeah. 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 And also, there are. When you said and black weight. and purple, I was yeah, trying to think that of one them too. together, and that, that was, like, what fucked me up. Yeah. <laughs> They're both recognizable in all black and wearing all purple. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Okay, okay, so that's the first round. Uh, letter D is yes. out. Okay. So now, uh, those of you at home, now you get the idea of how we play. Uh, Sean, you're up next. Marco takes a commanding lead. That's right. With one point. With one whole point. All right. <laughs> Letter D is off the board. Uh, a, B, C, or E. I'm going to go with A. Okay. This is a Marvel comic book character. 
Uh, they generally side on the side of good. I don't want you to uh, lean in too much into that. I'm, I'm trying to speak generally, uh, just for the sake yeah. of that. Yeah. And they were created in 1965. How many clues okay. do you need? I'm going to say five. Five. Anyone need... Does anyone think they can do it in less? I think you can do it in four. Okay. Oh! Yes! Fuck it, Marco. Yes! Oh! <laughs> Sean, can you do it in three? Oh, boy. Um, no, Marco can go. Okay. Okay. Damn. I like it. All right. Marco, for the chance to steal. This character was made in 1965. They are five foot eight and 120 pounds, and they were created by Stan Lee and John Ramita Sr. What character is this? Spider-Man. Nope. Uh, let, me, <laughs> no. let me quickly write down wah, wah. the points you lost there, so you're down to negative two. But I oh. don't get four Marco more. takes a commanding loss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get two more. I don't get two more clues. No, because you said you could do it in three. No, he said he could do it in four. He said he four. could do it in four. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, I missed her. All right, you got one more clue then. So uh, the colors are most recognizable in is red and black. Oh, pfft. Daredevil. No, um, we'll leave it a negative two. Sean, Damn. can you do this in a fifth clue? <laughs> oh, so I get another clue then. Yes. Sean, Spider-Man number 25 was the first issue they debuted in. Oh, and you said red and black? Those are the colors they're most associated with. Wow. Oh, boy. Mm, I'm drawing a massive blank. Uh, so for those of you at home, Sean doesn't actually lose any points. This is his category, so he's fine. Uh, it's because Marco tried to steal. He lost points. But if Sean does get it, he has the chance to get five points. So it was 1965. Yeah, we'll recap. 1965. They're five foot eight and 125, 120 pounds. They were created by Stan Lee and John Ramita Sr. The colors they're most recognizable with is red and black. Uh, they uh, debuted in Spider-Man number 25. They're a Marvel comic, comic book character. They're generally on the side of good. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Sean, who is this uh, character? I'm going to throw out a guess because I am not sure, and I'm going to go with Mary Jane. Yay, five points to Sean. Nice. Oh. Nice. Shit. Yes. Yes. That was great, Sean. Let's get it. Thank you. Red, red, red and black? Red hair, black yeah. shirt. Not. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. That's the thing is like these clues are so misleading. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, it yeah. makes it really interesting. Yeah. I like this. Okay. Okay. That's good. Uh, Pete, you're next. So you uh, we have A off. And we have D off. That leaves uh, Pete saying C. Great. All right. This is a Marvel comic book character. They generally side on the side of good. And they debuted in 1974. How many clues do you need? Uh, can I get a point check right now? Okay, sure. So Sean has five points. Marco has negative two. That's all I need to know. And everyone else <laughs> is at zero, including you. That's you and Kale. Um, 
I'm going to go with five clues. Does anyone want to try a steal? I'm going to go with four. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Okay. 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 Anyone else? All right. Uh, Pete, do you want to try to, can you do it in three? Mm, no. I'll let him have it with four. Let's see what he can okay. do. Okay. Kale, for the chance to steal, let us do this. Marvel comic book character generally sides on the side of good. The year they were created was 1974. Let's go on. Second clue. They are five foot three and 300 pounds. They were created by Roy Thomas, Len Wein, and John Romita Sr. And for the final clue here, the colors they're most generally associated with are yellow, blue, and black. What? Can I get that height and weight again? Five foot three and 300 pounds. Wow. What comic book character is this? Wolverine. Hey, Kale gets four points. What was the color scheme you said? 300 pounds. Because of the (laughs) bones. Because of the metal, yeah. Damn. Uh, Yellow, black, and blue. What was the color? Yellow, black, and blue. blue. Okay. Yellow, black, and blue. Damn. All right. All right. Some competition. I like it. I like it a lot. That was great, Kale. Good steal. Okay. Now, now, sorry. Do I get four points or six? You got points? four points. You got uh, no, six points. No, he I'm would sorry, get six. Right. Yeah, because yeah, he, he got would it get six points. Yeah. So that's the lead. Recapping now. our board. Yep. Kale has six points. Sean has five, and Marco has negative two. <laughs> <laughs> Coming for you guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> Somehow not. <laughs> okay. okay, Marco. <laughs> Marco, you have a choice between the letters B and E. Uh, B. Okay, this is a DC comic book character. Uh, they generally side on the side of good, and they came out in 1959. How many more clues do you need? Five. Okay, that's the that's the lucky number here. Anyone want to do it in less? <sighs> what what was the year? Four. Okay, there four. it is. We got it. Kale says he can do it in four. Fifty-nine. I can do it in four. I can do it in four. Oh, man. Marco, can you do it in three? No, Kale, sir. Uh, Marco, can you do it in three? Okay. All right. Kale, this is your chance to take a stranglehold of a lead. Or to lose it uh, all. That's right. We have a DC comic book character. They're generally on the side of good. They were created in 1959. Their canon height and weight is six foot two, 186 pounds. In other words, they're a generic Silver Age superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they were created by Gil Kane and John Broom. And the color scheme they are most generally associated with is green, white, and black. Green Lantern. Be more specific. Hal Jordan. There you go. Oh! Kale with a stranglehold. Yeah. 12 points. Damn. That's not who, that's not who I thought it was, but I knew that color, that color yeah. would clinch it. Okay, we have one more category. Do we want to try to do a little overtime here? Let's do it. Sure, yeah. Okay. I need my okay. redemption. Uh, okay, let's see. What's the best way to do this? Uh, first person that... We'll, we'll make it a free-for-all. The person who can do this in the least amount of clues. And we'll, we'll each auction off against each other. Okay. We'll do it that way. Uh, so the only clues I'm going to give you out of the gate is... This is an image comics book, comic book character. They generally side on the side of good, and they were created in 
19 hold on i gotta bring myself down to e 1992 wow hmm. image so good who thinks they can do this in 10 clues we'll go we'll go to the very top yeah i could definitely do it in 10 yeah clues. i mean i could do it in 10 clues i think you yeah. should okay. do it yeah, the do opposite it way like, yeah who thinks they can do it in okay. one clue who can do this with just the information i provided What's the penalty? Mm. Um, we'll do negative one point, I guess. If if I'm, fine, I'm, then I'm I'll, on the fly on I, this one. Then I mean, I guess I'll guess with none because other like that's my best chance of getting back in it. Oh, okay. Well, you are you sure? Because I mean, you need more points to win, right? Oh, you get ten. That's right. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, I can't even win. The best I can do is second place because kills like up there. Okay. So 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 Pete, who is it? Spawn. Nope. Damn. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was going to be my guess, too. Yo, yeah, I mean, shot? <laughs> yo you, had, you had to swing, sure. right? <laughs> uh, profit. Sure. Nope, you're out, too. Damn. All right, great. Uh, Mark goes down to negative three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know what? I guess we'll do it this way. I'm just going to go off each clue, and uh, you'll get the max amount of points if you get it, but if you are, you get it, you're, if you get it wrong, you're out. So, height you and weight. I think I can do it in three. Okay. Uh, Wait, Kale. What are you is... looking at? The the list. Okay, okay. the clue the clue list. Okay. Uh, I'll prove it to you. Is their height <laughs> is six foot? Height is is six foot six, four hundred fifty pounds. I just want to know if either of you think you can uh, get that. You said just, just the information. Four hundred and fifty. Six. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. And they're six foot six. I know who it is. I think I know who it is. All right. Well, you want to you want to take no. a shot? Okay. No. They they were created by Eric Larson. Ah, oh, Savage oh. Giants. Oh. <laughs> That's the I game. I should have waited for the height points. and weight. I would have I would have been confident enough to guess it then. Fuck. That and that's how we play comics clues. Damn, that awesome. was fun. Awesome. I really like that. Good game. That was a good game. Yeah, yeah that's a dope. I game. I want to do that again. Cool. All right, yeah. Just say the word, and I'll I'll create another uh, another list here. I wish I wish we had another one ready to go. It'd be great to play another round. But uh, yeah, very fun, very good game. And congrats to Kale for winning. What am I looking at? Accusing me of cheating? You piece of shit! <laughs> I would have you. you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're a fucking rapscallion. <laughs> I'll I'll make it even more uh, tricky in the future. I wanted to keep it kind of general yeah. for the first time playing, but you know what? You know, there we'll, were some we good curves some... though. Like it was popular yeah. characters, but like I wouldn't have expected Mary Jane to have been on the list. You know, yeah. Savage Dragon Definitely. was like the third most obvious image character you could have gone with. Yeah. So Sean, that was clutch with the Mary Jane guess. It was a hail mary, dude. <laughs> my 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 guess would have been Black Widow. That's what I was gonna Ooh, guess. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yep. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just figured Spider Man tw- issue twenty five. I think you said like it just seemed yeah. like okay, yeah. this would be the debut of a, of a of a marquee character. So yeah, Mary Jane made sense there. But yeah, very good game, Phil. Props to you for coming up with a really enjoyable game. Uh, Props to Kale on being just a vicious competitor, just stealing like savage. everybody's points. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking oh. savage. Props to Marco for. Trying immediately and failing. Put it all out there, you know. Wait, well, what do you mean? I, 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 my first one was right. Yeah, you then were, you came in you last place. Steal. Oh yeah, but my, well, I, I started out strong. You, you goofed. Oh so, man. Yeah. Well, 
We'll definitely play this in the future. Let us know what you think about the game. And if you played at home, did you get any of these right before we did? Uh, definitely let us know by hitting us up all over the place. You can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, you got to watch us play the game, which is not necessarily more interesting than just listening, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> leave us a, a, a comment. Drop us a like while you're at it. Subscribe to our channel and share this video with your friends to let them know that we're out here and that you enjoy what we do. Don't forget about our upcoming book clubs. At the end of this month, we will have the Daredevil Born Again book club. And then at the end of June, we'll have the listener request. One of the first we've ever done. We've done a couple before this, but uh, um, we'll be doing Killer Be Killed. So two books you can look forward to if you're not really doing much right now and you want to read some comics go pick these up digitally or however you can get your comics right now and join us for the ride uh come along to our discord server come hang out with us it's lots of fun as pete mentioned earlier on we do uh go live on twitch whenever we feel like it to play a game or you know whatever and you guys are welcome to come play with us or just you know be a part of the audience and chat with the pals so uh with all that said Let's get into the plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to um, <clears throat> come check out some of my other work, you can head over to lootpots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, as well as the uh, Patreon exclusive show After Dark, which you can get for a buck now. Um, so yeah, if you wanted some more podcasting from me, go check that stuff out. Thanks. Stay safe. Awesome. Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. You can find my work at Kaleward.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com. And uh, everything I've done is on that website for free. Uh, so come check it out. And then tell me how great I am. Is there also a pay option? No. Okay. But if I'll give you my Venmo, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Slap it on, man. Slap it on. <laughs> pay what you want, right? There it is. Um, Marco. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. Come talk to me about uh oh Gundam. Yo, I've been into Gundam uh real hard. So Fuck, we need to we need to chat. Yo, uh I'm doing Gundam OO right now. I finished 08 uh, MS team and the next is Iron Blooded Orphan. So hit me up. Bro, you should go hit up Thompson. He'll be so happy to have someone to talk Gundam with. Oh, you're <laughs> oh my god, okay. <laughs> he's already texting him <laughs> uh, just a friendly reminder in the times we live in to make sure you wear a face mask if you're out in public and around a lot of people make sure you keep washing your hands and everything a lot of states around the United States are lifting restrictions so just be safe because this stuff still isn't great just you know, be mindful Let's take care of each other. That said, uh, the day of this recording is Piccolo Day. It's the day King Piccolo took over the world. Or if you watch the dub like I did, that'll be on Wednesday this week. So just board up your windows and be careful because that King Demon King Piccolo is a real son of a bitch, you know? Uh, otherwise, can't, can't be any worse than what we got. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Demon King Piccolo what? 2020. Shit. <laughs> uh... uh if you want to talk to me about Dragon Ball or whatever, which is uh, shit I'm into right now, hit me up uh, on Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Are you sure it's not Goku Day, dude? 
It's also Goku Day, yeah. but that's more of a branding thing because I think five and nine are yes. phonetically similar to Go and Ku in Japanese. So it is. It's also Goku Day. That's a good day. He's a great dad. I don't care what Pete or Marco or Kale say. Well, I I didn't say anything, <laughs> and I agree with you. So there you go. I like Goku. When I know it's oh, up. sorry. I think the best dads are the ones who keep the world spinning so that their children can still exist. So Gohan mm. can go to school. There you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not saying that he's not a savior of the earth. I'm just saying, like, when he needed someone to give him away his, at his wedding, who did he ask? Piccolo. I like dads who have cool flying clouds. Yeah, me too. That's pretty sweet. I'd like to go on a ride on a flying cloud. In any event, uh, you can get me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about what a disappointment this season of Westworld ultimately was. No! Yep. <laughs> Don't yep. say shit like that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, man. I thought you were watching. I, I had to catch up. I was on season two. Dude, you've had weeks. Yeah, but, you know, I've Apparently been watching years Gundam. if he's stuck had in years. season. Yeah, you've had years. Um, yeah, hit me up to talk about that and uh, what new comics you're looking forward to. We're about to get some new comics. Let's talk about it. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. You know what's kind of weird? Okay, so we're the Comics Pals of America. By far the weirdest superhero is Uncle Sam. What the fuck's up with him? <laughs> <laughs>